we present Monkey. An abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Cheng An, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones. Chapter 20 The prince was soon back at the city of Crow Cock, and as instructed, he made no attempt to go in by the main gate but, without announcing himself, went to the back gate, where several eunuchs were on guard. They did not dare to stop him, and, dear prince, he rode in all alone, and soon reached the arbour of brocade perfume, where he found his mother surrounded by her women, who were fanning her, while she <laughs> leant weeping over a carven balustrade. Why, you will ask, was she weeping? At the fourth watch, she had had a dream, half of which she could remember, and half of which had faded, and she was thinking hard. Leaping from his horse, the prince knelt down before her and cried, Mother! She forced herself to put on a happier countenance and exclaimed, Child, this is a joy indeed. For years past you have been so busy in the men's quarters at the palace, studying with your father, that I have never seen you, which has been a great sorrow to me. How have you managed to find time today? It is an unspeakable pleasure. My child, why is your voice so mournful? Your father is growing old. Soon the time will come when the dragon returns to the pearl-grey sea, the phoenix to the pink mists. You will then become king. Why should you be dispirited? The prince struck the floor with his forehead. Mother, I ask you, he said, who is it that sits upon the throne? He has gone mad, said the queen. The ruler is your father and the king. Why should you ask? Mother, the prince said, if you will promise me forgiveness, I will speak. But if not, I dare not speak. How can there be questions of guilt and pardon between mother and son? Of course you are free to speak. Be quick and begin. Mother, said the prince, if you compare your life with my father these last three years with your life with him before, should you say that his affection was as great? Hearing this question, the queen altogether lost her presence of mind and, leaping to her feet, ran down from the arbour and flung herself into his arms, saying, Child, why, when I have not seen you for so long, should you suddenly come and ask me such a question? Mother, said the prince hotly, do not evade this question, for much hangs upon the answer to it. Then the queen sent away all the court ladies, and with tears in her eyes said in a low voice, Had you not asked me, I would have gone down to the nine springs of death without ever breathing a word about this matter. But since you have asked, hear what I have to say. What three years ago was warm and bland, these last three years has been cold as ice. When at the pillow's side I questioned him, 
He told me age had impaired his strength and that things did not work. When he heard this, the prince shook himself free, gripped the saddle and mounted his horse. His mother tried to hold him back, saying, Child, what is it that makes you rush off before our talk is done? The prince returned and knelt in front of her. Mother, he said, I dare not speak. Today at dawn I received a command to go hunting outside the city with falcon and dog. By chance I met a priest sent by the Emperor of China to fetch scriptures. He has a chief disciple named Monkey, who is very good at subduing evil spirits. According to him, my father the king was drowned in the crystal well in the flower garden, and a wizard impersonated him and seized his throne. Last night at the third watch, my father appeared in a dream to this priest and asked him to come to the city and seize the impostor. I did not believe all this, and so came to question you, but what you have just told me makes me certain that it is an evil spirit. My child, said the queen, why should you believe strangers of whom you have no knowledge? I should not, said the prince, have dared to accept the story as true, had not the king my father left behind a token in the hands of these people. The queen asked what it was, and the prince took out from his sleeve the white jade tablet bordered with gold and handed it to his mother. When she saw that it was indeed a treasure that had been the king's in old days, she could not stop her tears gushing out like a water spring. My lord and master, she cried, why have you been dead three years and never come to me, but went first to a priest and afterwards to the prince? Mother, said the prince, what do these words mean? My child, she said, at the fourth watch I too had a dream. I dreamt I saw your father stand in front of me all dripping wet, saying that he was dead and that his soul had visited a priest of Tang and asked him to defeat the false king and rescue his own body from where it had been thrown. That is all I can remember, and it is only half. The other half I cannot get clear, and I was puzzling about it when you came. It is strange that you should just at this moment come with this tale and bring this tablet with you. I will put it away, and you must go and ask the priest to come at once and do what he promises. If he can drive away the impostor and distinguish the false from the true, you will have repaid the king, your father, for the pains he bestowed upon your upbringing. The prince was soon back at the gates of the Treasure Wood Temple, where he was joined by his followers. The sun's red disc was now falling. He told his followers to stay quietly where they were, went into the temple alone, arranged his hat and clothes, and paid his respects to Monkey, who came hopping and skipping from the main hall. The prince knelt down, saying, Here I am again, father. Monkey raised him from his knees. Did you ask anyone anything when you were in the city? He said. I questioned my mother, said the prince, and he told the whole story. Monkey smiled. If it is as cold as that, he said, 
he is probably a transformation of some chilly creature. No matter, just wait while I mop him up for you. But today it is growing late, and I cannot very well start doing anything. You go back now, and I will come early tomorrow. Master, said the prince, kneeling before him, let me wait here till the morning, and then go along with you. That will not do, said Monkey. If I were to come into the city at the same time as you, the suspicions of the impostor would be aroused. He would not believe that I forced myself upon you, but would be sure you had invited me, and in this way the blame would fall on you. I shall get into trouble anyhow, said the prince, if I go into the city now. What about? asked Monkey. I was sent out hunting, said the prince, and I have not got a single piece of game. How dare I face the king? If he accuses me of incompetence and casts me into prison, who will you have to look after you when you arrive tomorrow? There is not one of the officers who knows you. What matter? said Monkey. You have only to mention that you need some game, and I will procure it for you. Dear Monkey, watch him while he displays his arts before the prince. He gives himself a shake, jumps up onto the fringe of a cloud, performs a magic pass, and murmurs a spell which compels the spirits of the mountain and the local deities to come before him and do obeisance. Great sage, they said, what orders have you for us, little divinities? I guarded a priest of Tang on his way here, said Monkey. I want to seize an evil spirit, but this prince here has nothing to show for his hunting, and does not dare return to court. I have sent for you divinities to ask you to do me a favour. Find some musk deer, wild boar, hares, and so on, any wild beasts or birds you can discover, and bring them here. The divinities dared not disobey. How many do you require of each? they asked. It does not matter exactly how many, said Monkey. Just bring some along, that is all. Then these divinities, using the secret instruments that appertain to them, made a magic wind that drew together wild beasts. Soon there were hundreds and thousands of wild fowl, deer, foxes, hares, tigers, panthers, and wolves collected in front of Monkey. It is not I who want them, he cried. You must get them on the move again and string them out on each side of the road for forty leagues. The hunters will be able to take them home without use of falcon or dog. That is all that is required of you. The divinities obeyed and spread out the game on each side of the road. Monkey then lowered his cloud and said to the prince, Your Highness may now go back. There is game all along the road. You have only to collect it. When the prince saw him floating about in the air and exercising magic powers, he was deeply impressed, and bent his head on the ground in prostration before Monkey, from whom he humbly took his leave. He then went out in front of the temple and gave orders to the huntsmen to return to court. They were astonished to find endless wild game on each side of the road, 
which they took without use of falcon or dog, merely by laying hands upon it. They all believed that this blessing had been vouchsafed to the prince and had no idea that it was monkey's doing. Listen to the songs of triumph that they sing as they throng back to the city. When the priests of the temple saw on what terms Tripitaka and the rest were with the prince, they began to treat them with a new deference. They invited them to refreshments and again put the Zen Hall at Tripitaka's disposal. It was near the first watch, but Monkey had something on his mind and could not get to sleep at once. Presently, he crept across to Tripitaka's bed and called, Master! Tripitaka was not asleep either, but knowing that Monkey liked giving people a start, he pretended to be asleep. Monkey rubbed his tonsure, and shaking him violently, he said, Master, why are you sleeping? The rogue cried Tripitaka crossly. Why can't you go to sleep instead of pestering me like this? Master, said Monkey, there is something you must give me your advice about. What is that? said Tripitaka. I talked very big to the prince, said Monkey, giving him to understand that my powers were high as the hills and deep as the sea, and that I could catch the false wizard as easily as one takes things out of a bag. I had only to stretch out my hand and carry him off, but I cannot get to sleep, for it has occurred to me that it may not be so easy. If you think it's too difficult, why do it? said Tripitaka. It's not that there's any difficulty about catching him, said Monkey. The only question is whether it is legal. What nonsense this monkey talks, said Tripitaka. How can it be illegal to arrest a monster that has seized a monarch's throne? You only know how to read scriptures, worship Buddha and practice Zen, and have never studied the Code of Xiao Ho. But you must at least know the proverb, Take robber, take loot. The magician has been king for three years, and not the slightest suspicion has been felt by anyone. All the late king's ladies sleep with him, and the ministers, civil and military, disport themselves with him. Even if I succeed in catching him, how am I to convince anyone of his guilt? What is the difficulty? asked Tripitaka. Even if he were as dumb as a calabash, he would be able to talk one down. He would say boldly, I am the king of Crowcock. What crime have I committed against heaven that you should arrest me? How would one argue with him then? And you, Sir Tripitaka, what plan have you got? My plan is already made, said Monkey, smiling. The only obstacle is that you have a partiality. A partiality? For whom? said Tripitaka. Pigsy, said Monkey. You have a preference for him because he is so strong. What makes you think that? asked Tripitaka. If it were not so, said Monkey, 
you would pull yourself together and have the courage to stay here with Sandy to look after you while I and Pigsy go off to the city of Crowcock, find the flower garden, uncover the well, and bring up the Emperor's body, which we will wrap in our wrapper, and next day bring to court. There we will get our papers put in order, confront the magician, and I will fell him with my cudgel. If he tries to exonerate himself, I will show him the body and say, Here is the man you drowned, and I will make the prince come forward and wail over his father. The queen come out and recognize her husband. The officers, civil and military, look upon their lord, and then I and my brother will get to work. In this way, the whole thing will be on a proper footing. Tripitaka thought this was a splendid plan, but he was not sure that Pigsy would consent. Why not? said Monkey. Didn't I say you were partial to him and did not want him to go? You think he would refuse to go because you know that when I call you it is often half an hour before you take any notice. You will see when I start that I shall only need a turn or two of my three-inch tongue, and no matter if he is Pigsy or Wigsy, I am quite capable of making him follow me. Very well, said Tripitaka. Call him when you go. Pigsy! Pigsy! cried Monkey at Pigsy's bedside. That fool did most of the hard work when they were on the road, and no sooner did his head touch the pillow than he was snoring, and it took a great deal more than a shout to wake him. Monkey pulled his ears, tweaked his bristles, and dragged him from the pillow, shouting, Pigsy! 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 That fool pushed him away. Monkey shouted again, Go to sleep, and don't be so stupid, Pigsy said. Tomorrow we have got to be on the road again. I'm not being stupid, said Monkey. There is a bit of business I want your help in. What business? asked Pigsy. You heard what the prince said, said Monkey. No, said Pigsy. I did not set eyes on him or hear anything he said. He told me, said Monkey, that the magician has a treasure with more than an army of ten thousand men. When we go to the city tomorrow, we are sure to fall foul of him. He will use it to overthrow us. Wouldn't it be much better if we got in first and stole the treasure? Brother, said Pigsy, are you asking me to commit robbery? If so, that's a business I have experience of and can't really be of some help. But there is one thing we must get clear. If I steal a treasure or subdue a magician, I expect more than a petty skunking share. The treasure must be mine. What do you want it for? asked Monkey. I am not so clever as you are at talking people into giving me alms. I am strong, but I have a very common way of talking, and I don't know how to recite the scriptures. When we get into a tight place, wouldn't this treasure be good to exchange for something to eat and drink? I only care for fame, said Monkey. I don't want any treasures. You may have it all to yourself. 
That fool, when he heard that it was all to be his, was in high glee. He rolled out of bed, hustled into his clothes, and set out with Monkey. Clear wine brings a blush to the cheeks. Yellow gold moves even the philosophic heart. The two of them opened the temple gate very quietly and, leaving Trivitaka, mounted a wreath of cloud and soon reached the city, where they lowered their cloud just as the second watch was being sounded on the tower. Brother, it's the second watch, said Monkey. Couldn't be better, said Pigsy. Everyone will just be deep in their first sleep. They did not go to the main gate, but to the back gate, where they heard the sound of the watchman's clapper and bells. Brother, said Monkey, they are on alert at all the gates. How shall we get in? When did thieves ever go in by a gate, said Pigsy. We must scramble over the wall. Monkey did so, and at a bound was over the rampart and wall. Pigsy followed, and the two stealthily made their way in, soon rejoining the road from the gate. They followed this till they came to the flower garden. In front of them was a gate tower with three thatched white gables, and high up was an inscription in shining letters, catching the light of the moon and stars. It said, Imperial Flower Garden. When Monkey came close, he saw that the locks were sealed up several layers deep, and he told Pigsy to get to work. That fool wielded his iron rake, which he brought crashing down upon the gate and smashed it to bits. Monkey stepped over the fragments, and once inside, could not stop himself jumping and shouting for joy. Brother, said Pigsy. You'll be the ruin of us. Who ever heard of a thief making all that noise? You'll wake everyone up. We shall be arrested and taken before the judge. And if we are not condemned to death, we shall certainly be sent back to where we came from and drafted into the army. Why try to make me nervous? said Monkey. Look! The painted and carven balustrades are scattered and strewn. The jewel-studded arbours and trees are toppling down. The sedgy islands and knotweed banks are buried in dust. The white peonies and yellow glove flowers all dust destroyed. Jasmine and rose perfume the night. The red peony and tiger lily bloom in vain. The hibiscus and Syrian mallow are choked with weeds. Strange plant and rare flowers are crushed and die. What does it matter if they do, said Pigsy. Let's get on with our business. Monkey, although deeply affected by the scene, called to mind Tripitaka's dream, in which he was told that the well was underneath a banana plant, and when they had gone a little further, they did indeed discover a most singular banana plant which grew very thick and high. Now, Pigsy, said Monkey, are you ready? The treasure is buried under this tree. That fool lifted his rake in both hands, beat down the banana tree, 
and began to nuzzle with his snout till he had made a hole three or four feet deep. At last he came to a slab of stone. Brother, he cried, here's luck. We found the treasure. It's bound to be under this slab. If it's not in a coffer, it'll be in a jar. Hoist it up and see, said Monkey. Pigsy went to work again with his snout and raised the slab till they could see underneath. Something sparkled and flashed. Didn't I say we're in luck, said Pigsy. That is the treasure glittering. But when they looked closer, it was the light of the stars and moon reflected in a well. Brother, said Pigsy, you should not think so much of the trunk that you forget the root. Now what does that mean? asked Monkey. This is a well, said Pigsy. If you had told me before we started that the treasure was in a well, I should have brought with me the two ropes we tie up our bundles with, and you could have contrived to let me down. As it is, how are we to get anything down there and bring it up again? You intend to go down, said Monkey. That's what I should do, said Pigsy, if I had any rope. Take off your clothes, said Monkey, and I'll manage it for you. I don't go in for much in the way of clothes, said Pigsy, but I'll take off my jerkin if that's any good. Dear Monkey, he took out his metal-clasped cudgel, called to it, Stretch! And when it was some thirty feet long, he said to Pigsy, You catch hold of one end, and I'll let you down. Brother, said Pigsy, let me down as far as you like, so long as you stop when I come to the water. Just so, said Monkey. Pigsy caught hold of one end of the staff, and was very gently raised and let down into the well by Monkey. He soon reached the water. I'm at the water, he called up. Monkey hearing this, let him down just a little further. Hey, that ah! fool Pigsy, when he felt the water touch him, began to beat out with his trotters, let go of the staff, and flopped right into the water. The rascal, he cried, spluttering and blowing. I told him to stop when I came to the water, and instead he let me down further. <laughs> Monkey only laughed and withdrew the staff. Brother, he said, have you found the treasure? Treasure indeed, said Pigsy. There's nothing but well water. The treasure is under the water, said Monkey. Just have a look. Pigsy, it so happened, was thoroughly at home in the water. He took a great plunge straight down into the well. But oh, what a long way it was to the bottom. He dived again with all his might, and suddenly opening his eyes, saw in front of him an entrance, above which was written, The Crystal Palace. This astonished him very much. That finishes it, he cried. I've come the wrong way and got into the sea. There is a crystal palace in the sea, 
but I never heard of one down a well. For he did not know that the Dragon King of the Well also has a crystal palace. Pigsy was thus debating with himself when a Yaksha on patrol duty in the waters opened the door, saw the intruder, and immediately withdrew to the interior, announcing, Great King, a calamity. A long-snouted, long-eared priest has dropped down into our well, all naked and dripping. He is still alive and speaks to himself rationally. The Dragon King of the Well was, however, not at all surprised. If I am not mistaken, he said, this is General Pigsy. Last night the spirit that wanders by night received orders to come here and fetch the soul of the King of Crowcock and bring it to the priest of Tang to ask the monkey sage to subdue the wicked magician. I imagine that Monkey has come, as well as General Pigsy. They must be treated with great consideration. Go at once and ask the General to come in. The Dragon King then tidied his clothes, adjusted his hat, and bringing with him all his watery kinsmen, he came to the gate and cried in a loud voice, General Pigsy, pray come inside and be seated. Pigsy was delighted. Fancy meeting with an old friend, he said, and without thinking what he was in for, that fool went into the Crystal Palace. Caring nothing for good manners, all dripping as he was, he sat down in the seat of honour. General, said the Dragon King, I heard lately that your life was spared to you on condition you should embrace the faith of Sakyamuni and protect Tripitaka on his journey to India. What then are you doing down here? It's just in that connection that I come, said Pigsy. My brother Monkey presents his best compliments and sends me to fetch some treasure or other. I'm sorry, said the Dragon King, but what should I be doing with any treasure? You're mixing me up with the dragons of the Yangtze, the Yellow River, the Huai and the Qi, who soar about the sky and assume many shapes. They, no doubt, have treasures, but I stay down here all the time in this wretched hole, never catching a glimpse of the sky above. Where should I get a treasure from? Don't make excuses, said Pigsy. I know you've got it, so bring it out at once. The one treasure I have, said the Dragon King, can't be brought out. I suggest you should go and look at it for yourself. Excellent, said Pigsy. I'll come and have a look. The Dragon King led him through the Crystal Palace till they came to a cloister in which lay a body six feet long. Pointing at it, the Dragon King said, General, there is your treasure. Pigsy went up to it and, oh, what did he see before him? It was a dead emperor. On his head a tall crown dressed in a red gown, on his feet upturned shoes girded with a belt of jades, who lay stretched full length upon the floor. 
Pigsy laughed. You won't kid me like that, he said. Since when did this count as treasure? Why, when I was an ogre in the mountains, I made my supper on them every day. When one has not only seen a thing time after time, but also eaten it again and again, can one be expected to regard it as a treasure? General, said the Dragon King, you do not understand. This is the body of the King of Crow Cock. When he fell into the well, I preserved him with a magic pearl, and he suffered no decay. If you care to take him up with you, show him to Monkey, and succeed in bringing him back to his senses, you need worry no more about treasures. You'll be able to get anything out of him that you choose to ask for. Very well then, said Pigsy. I'll remove him for you if you'll let me know how much I shall get as my undertaker's fee. I haven't got any money, said the Dragon King. So you expect to get jobs done for nothing, said Pigsy. If you haven't got any money, I won't remove him. If you won't, said the Dragon King, I must ask you to go away. Pigsy at once retired. The Dragon King ordered two powerful yakshas to carry the body to the gate of the Crystal Palace and leave it just outside. They removed from the gate its water-fending pearls, and at once there was a sound of rushing waters. Pigsy looked around. The gate had vanished, and while he was poking about for it, his hand touched the dead king's body, which gave him such a start that his legs gave way under him. He scrambled to the surface of the water, and squeezing against the well wall, he cried, Brother, let down your staff and get me out of this. Did you find the treasure? asked Monkey. How should I? said Pigsy. All I found was a dragon king at the bottom of the water who wanted me to remove a corpse. I refused, and he had me put out at the door. Then this palace vanished, and I found myself touching the corpse. It gave me such a turn that I feel quite weak. Brother, you must get me out of this. That was your treasure, said Monkey. Why didn't you bring it up with you? I knew he had been dead a long time, said Pigsy. What was the sense of bringing him? You'd better, said Monkey, or I shall go away. Go, said Pigsy. Where to? I shall go back to the temple, said Monkey, and go to sleep like Tripitaka. And I shall be left down here, said Pigsy. If you can climb out, said Monkey, there is no reason why you should stay here. But if you can't, there's an end of it. Pigsy was thoroughly frightened. He knew he could not possibly climb out. Just think, he said. Even a city wall is difficult to get up. But this well shaft has a big belly and a small mouth. Its walls slope in, and as no water has been drawn from it for several years, they have become all covered with slime. It's far too slippery to climb. Brother, just to keep up a nice spirit between friends, I'll carry it up. That's right, said Monkey, and be quick about it, so that we can both of us go home to bed. That fool Pigsy. 
dived down again, found the corpse, hoisted it onto his back, clambered up to the surface of the water, and propped himself and the body against the wall. Brother, he called, I've brought it. Monkey peered down, and seeing that Pigsy had indeed a burden on his back, he lowered his staff into the well. That fool was a creature of much determination. He opened his mouth wide, bit hard on the staff, and Monkey pulled him gently up. Putting down the corpse, Pigsy pulled himself into his clothes. The Emperor, Monkey found on examining him, was indeed in the most perfect preservation. Brother, he asked, how comes it that a man who has been dead for three years can look so fresh? According to the Dragon King of the Well, said Pigsy, he used a magic pearl which prevented the body from decaying. That was a bit of luck, said Monkey but it still remains to take vengeance upon his enemy and win glory for ourselves. Make haste and carry him off. Where to? asked Pigsy. To the temple, said Monkey, to show him to Tripitaka. What an idea, grumbled Pigsy to himself. A fellow was having a nice sound sleep, and along comes this baboon with a wonderful yarn about a job that must be done and, in the end, it turns out to be nothing but this silly game of carting about a corpse. Carry that stinking thing? It will dribble filthy water all over me and dirty my clothes. There's no one to wash them for me. There are patches in several places, and if the water gets through, I have nothing to change into. Don't worry about your clothes, said Monkey. Get the body to the temple, and I will give you a change of clothes. "'Impudence!' cried Pigsy. "'You've none of your own. "'How can you give me any to change into?' "'Does that twaddle mean that you won't carry it?' said Monkey. "'I'm not going to carry it,' said Pigsy. "'Then hold out your paw and take twenty,' said Monkey. "'Brother,' said Pigsy, much alarmed, "'that cudgel is very heavy. "'After twenty strokes of it,' there would not be much to choose between me and this emperor. If you don't want to be beaten, said Monkey, make haste and carry it off. Pigsy did indeed fear the cudgel, and sorely against his will, he hoisted the corpse onto his back and began to drag himself along towards the garden gate. Dear Monkey, he performed a magic pass, recited a spell, traced a magic square on the ground, and going to it, blew a breath that turned into a great gust of wind, which blew Pigsy clean out of the palace grounds and clear of the city moat. The wind stopped, and alighting, they set out slowly on their way. Pigsy was feeling very ill-used, and thought of a plan to revenge himself. This monkey, he said to himself, has played a dirty trick on me, but I'll get even with him all right when we get back to the temple. I will tell Tripitaka that monkey can bring the dead to life. If he says he can't, I shall persuade Tripitaka to recite the spell that makes this monkey's head ache, and I shan't be satisfied till his brains are bursting out of his head. But thinking about it as he went along, he said to himself, 
That's no good. If he is asked to bring the king to life, he won't have any difficulty. He will go straight to Yama, king of death. Ask for the soul and so bring the king to life. I must make it clear that he is not to go to the dark realm, but must do his cure here in the world of light. That's the thing to do. They were now at the temple gate, went straight in and put down the corpse at the door of the Zen hall, saying, Master, get up and look. Tripitaka was not asleep, but was discussing with Sandy why the others were away so long. Suddenly he heard them calling, and jumping up he said, Disciples, what is this I see? Monkey's father-in-law, said Pigsy, he made me carry him. You rotten fool, said Monkey, where have I any father-in-law? Brother, if he isn't your father-in-law, said Pigsy, why did you make me carry him? It has been tiring work for me, I can tell you that. When Tripitaka and Sandy examined the body and saw that the emperor looked just like a live man, Tripitaka suddenly burst into lamentation. Alas, poor emperor, he cried, in some forgotten existence, you doubtless did great wrong to one that in this incarnation has now confounded you and brought you to destruction. You were torn from wife and child, None of your generals or counsellors knew, none of your officers were aware. Alas, for the blindness of your queen and prince that offered no incense, no tea to your soul. Here he broke down, and his tears fell like rain. Master, said Pigsy, what does it matter to you that he is dead? He is not your father or grandfather. Why should you wail over him? Disciple, said Tripitaka, for us who are followers of Buddha, compassion is the root, indulgence the gate. Why is your heart so hard? It isn't that my heart is hard, said Pigsy, but Brother Monkey tells me he can bring him to life. If he fails, I am certainly not going to cart him about any more. Now Tripitaka, being by nature pliable as water, was easily moved by that fool's story. Monkey, he said, if you can indeed bring this emperor back to life, you will be doing what matters more than that we should reach the holy mountain and worship the Buddha. They say to save one life is better than to build a seven-storied pagoda. Master, said Monkey, do you really believe this fool's wild talk? When a man is dead, in three times seven, five times seven, or at the end of seven hundred days, when he has done penance for his sins in the world of light, his turn comes to be born again. This king has been dead for three years. How can he possibly be saved? I expect we had better give up the idea, said Trepitaka, when he heard this. But Pigsy was not to be cheated of his revenge. Don't let him put you off, he said to Tripitaka. Remember his head is very susceptible. You have only to recite that stuff of yours, and I guarantee that he'll turn the king into a live man. Tripitaka accordingly did recite the headache spell, and it gripped so tight that Monkey's eyes started out of his head, and he suffered frightful pain. 
If you do not know whether in the end this king was brought to life, you must listen to what is unfolded in the next chapter. You've been listening to Monkey, an abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Chung-un, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones. <laughs> 